Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. This episode is being recorded live from the NRFshop.org Digital Summit 2016 on Monday, September 26th. As usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. It's good to be back here at the Shop.org NRF Digital Summit. It is terrific to be here. This is actually my favorite venue for Shop.org. Really? Dallas? It is, and the reason is... Uh, six years ago, the last time we were here in Dallas, I met my wife for the first time. Oh, did you meet her at that event where we were at the uh, Cowboy Stadium and she saw you kick a field goal and it's like, that's the man I'm going to marry? That clearly was the closer. <laughs> we we met earlier uh, uh, in the day, but so clearly kind of when she saw the, the powerful leg that I had, I know that that was a extra appeal. Boom. Yes. And my, my amazing field goal dancing ability. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put a video of that up on the site. Yeah, happily, I've, I may have uh, been able to censor all of those videos. <laughs> well, I'm sure someone saved it. Well, we have a real treat for our listeners on this episode. We have John Seebeck on the show. John is the VP and GM of e-commerce at CDW, and before that, he was the VP of e-commerce at Crate and Barrel. Uh, he served on the Shop.org board, where Jason and I got to know him really well, and always enjoyed talking to e-commerce with him. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yeah, and you are based in Chicago. So, in Chicago. And there's kind of a running joke. You and Jason are both in Chicago and never see each other there. You have to come to Dallas to see each other. Exactly. Right. We are we are neighbors, but we just never uh, seem to be in the same city at the same time, which I think is my fault. Uh, I think one time you were, we almost got together, and I think I backed out. You may have stood me up. Yeah. I, 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 I don't like, have a stand-up, but I, I know I backed out. You got advance warning, right? How long, officially, Scott, do I have to be sitting at the coffee shop alone crying <laughs> before it's officially a stand 20, 20 minutes. Okay. Then, yeah, yeah, maybe I didn't get stood up. Yeah. 15 is they went to the wrong Starbucks, and they should have messaged you by then. 20 is a total stand-up. Yeah. yeah. So one of these days, we're going to get together in Chicago. I will look forward to it, but I'm thrilled to have you here. It's great to be here. Yeah, so, John, tell us, you've been in the industry for a while. Tell us a little bit about your background. I'd love to hear... You know, did you um, all the way back to college? What did you study? And then how did you get into e-commerce and, and then take us through Crate and Barrel and, and the whole enchilada? Wow, that's great. College. So I grew up in Chicago and my <clears throat> applied to schools in the Midwest. And then one, one evening, my godmother called and said, you know, John should apply to the University of Richmond in Virginia. And I never considered it. And I Applied. I got accepted. The spiders. You the wanted spiders. to be a spider. Like, never be an eight-legged beast. Never visited the school, and I wanted to be wanted to do that for your listeners. It's kind of like a oh, you guys do you a take spider your thing? hand. Yeah, but that's like, only that's what they legs. do in the crowd. It's kind of like a but to be like technical, you have to do eight legs. Yeah, you have to keep your thumbs down. Oh, okay. Ah, there like, for our listeners, ah. imagine three old guys <laughs> creepily uh, <laughs> squeezing an orange with their hands in an odd uh, and potentially inappropriate gesture. Okay. Exactly. There you go. So I was there in 1985, which was the year that the Spiders had their kind of Cinderella run, if there oh, are yeah. basketball fans as listeners. And 
the big win was against Charles Barkley mm. in Auburn. Neat. So Richmond, and then I moved back to Chicago. I was in the insurance business for six years, worked for a company called Johnson & Higgins, which was bought by Marsh. If you know insurance, you probably heard of Marsh. And Are you selling insurance? I was an insurance, insurance broker. Oh, cool. cool. So we you were, have like the little coffin with the mirror in it and say, here's your future. What do you see <laughs> no, in here? What do you see God, in here? Thank God it was, it was the cheesy insurance. I started out marine and aviation, so wow. marine cargo and aviation cargo. Then I moved into international property and casualty. So it was all big, big business. Mm-hmm. And travel. I, I went from Chicago to New York, worked in New York for about nine months and then i got relocated to dc and that was a beautiful thing because that kind of got my wife and i together for for permanence being back in dc cool did you kick field goals for your wife at all no i proposed to her on the brooklyn bridge though oh that's romantic that was a little sunset kind of a thing nice very harry met sally but she she went to gallaudet university which is a national school for the deaf so richmond Worked in the insurance business, and I realized you know, insurance is really about per- loss prevention. At the end of the day, like brokering a policy is it's a negotiation game, and I I wasn't an engineer, and so loss prevention was not my bag. And I always want to get my master's, so I applied to the University of Virginia and a couple other schools, and went to Darden and got my MBA, and that was nice. It was in state tuition, and my summer job was with IBM. So I was very much wanting to move into technology and get as close as I could to kind of general management because that was the degree. And so IBM down in Research Triangle Park. And then upon graduation, I ended up working for Circuit City. So retail, I went to a a store manager and training program. And that's how I got into retail. And worked in Richmond. Then we moved to Philadelphia, ran a store in King of Prussia, and then moved back to Richmond. And then I got relocated to Chicago, which was home for me. And after about six years, I said, I got to get out of this. I got to get into the internet. I shouldn't say I got to get out of. And I wasn't going to go back to Richmond, which is where Circuit City was headquartered. And I said, well, you know, you're interested in this internet thing. Why don't you go do it for us in Richmond? And I just didn't want to leave Chicago. So I went with a grad school uh, friend, colleague, and we had our own design consulting firm. And that's kind of how I jumped in with both feet on online. Mm-hmm. And what time? What, is this like so this was, I left 99. in November of 99. Left, November 1st, 99 was my last day at Circuit City. Yeah. And we were together until. I started, so it was about 18 months, and as we know, the, the bubble hit, and what started to happen was companies were saying, hey, this is really important, we've got to bring this in-house, and my partner was in New York, I was in Chicago, there were just a number of reasons why I wanted to make a change, and then I looked for a couple different things, consulting, or uh, one was Crate and Barrel, so just, it was a great uh, opportunity because I had store background and some internet background and they, they were looking for someone to, to come in and help them with e-commerce. So my original title was senior manager of the internet back in March, Ooh. March, 2001. All Not just a create and barrel, just senior manager for the entire internet. <laughs> senior manager, comma internet. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So crate was, you know, it's a I- iconic brand, right? A big Chicago story. 
Um, Gordon Siegel was, was the CEO. He was the CEO until 2008. And the web business was probably, you know, the, the company now is a billion three or so, I would guess. I don't know. No, I haven't been there for a while, but the internet was probably $12 million in annual sales in 2001. And we were selling, basically we took this limited assortment of the gift registry business and we put that online and that was that was the essence of what it was. So there was a lot to, to do there and started just pure online. Then I moved into a marketing role, direct marketing. So I had catalog responsibility and then database responsibility and um, did that until probably 2010 or 11 and then kind of went back into a pure e-commerce role. So really focus on customer experience, you know, delivering the promise of the brand online as opposed to driving traffic. Uh, so we kind of made this break between marketing and, and customer experience. Got it. And do I have it right? Did Crate & Barrel start out as a cataloger before the stores? or did the no. st- Which came first? Okay. So the store, there's a store on Wells Street in Chicago, and that's the, that's the first store in 1962. So the, the, they started mailing a catalog in 1967. So it's, you're you're not far off. And so that, that was a great, uh, advantage, right. To crate and barrel and other catalogers that they had the pick pack and ship operation and they could, they had photography and there were certain things that just weren't, you know, foreign to them to, to get into it. They were used to direct to consumer delivery. Yeah. Pick customer service. Mm-hmm, they yeah. could get it to them. So, um, but after I was there 13 years and I loved, uh, every, every day it was just a great, great, company and uh, great experience but i was just restless like at the end of the day i would feel like i'm almost 50 and i want to i want to do something different and i want to really get kind of full with a whole new experience so i started looking actively and then i had the good fortune of being contacted by a recruiter for cdw and that summer that same summer i was looking and one thing led to another and I gave my notice to Crate and Barrel in the fall of 2013 and then end up uh, leaving in early 2014 or starting CDW early part of 2014. So my role there, you know, it's, it's completely different, right? It's sure it's vice president GM of e-commerce. So it has many of the same aspects, but the business model is completely different. I mean, the size of the business where we finished at 13 billion uh, last year, it's B two B. We definitely get consumer business, but our our mission in life is to help companies, organizations, you know, solve their problems. It's usually B2 like IT. bigger B. It's like you know, I'm a company Fortune 500 company, and I need CDW to come in and help me manage all my laptop assets, some right. server stuff. You guys do a lot of kind of really big corporate kind of MIS, you know, kind of things, and right. That's that's kind of how I envision it. Yeah, I mean, the you mentioned you went right to one core competency. It's just, it, you know, how we work for a retailer. You want to go into the warehouse. I love going in the warehouse at Crate and Barrel and seeing, like, all the boxes get shipped. And CW, you get to see how we configure all the, the notebooks. Mm. So, yeah, you can literally, or we, we can sell you 500 notebooks, and they can come to your business, and you just have to open them up and turn them on. You know, they're all pre-configured and ready to roll. So it's, but it's beginning, it's small customers, and it's large customers. It's state, local, federal government. It's healthcare, it's hospitals. It's any kind of school, K through 12, high ed. So it's, the customer base is really large, and that 
kind of balanced portfolio of the customer is you know it's a great advantage to us and the, the cycles the business cycles they come come and go so does cdw um do a fair amount of business that's not e-commerce because I, I also envision they have just kind of like a direct sales force and yep. you know procurement systems and there's certainly kind of you know kind of two legs there. There's probably more of a direct sales force part and then also an e-commerce, more transactional, small stuff. Is, right. is that kind of how it splits up? Or Yeah, so the I mean, the company was kind of built on the backs of the, the PC revolution. It started in 1985, and it was um, an account manager, has been the title really forever, model. And it's a you know, commission sales model. And you know that is our primary go-to-market strategy is you every every customer every prospect has an account manager who calls on customers and the internet has been a great enabler for customers to either do you know high touch integrations or just you know purchase all their products so we we're very much a bimodal service and delivery mode so so number one we have just the core transactional products and people Often think of CDW as really good at what you describe, but there's this part of CDW that we're trying to do a better job of communicating, and it's that we we have cloud expertise, we have mo- mobility expertise for your mobile workforce, we have a really strong security practice, we have a data center practice. So they're you know they're really important solution areas that that companies are trying to figure out, and we've got those types of uh, consultative and actually field engineer. Uh, teams and then we sell hundreds of thousands of products we represent many different partners and partners we refer to as hp or um, cisco and so our goal is to stay relevant to our partners and our our customers and we think if we can do that then you know we'll we'll continue to thrive and grow yeah as a as a geeky guy i'd known about cdw back from the computer shopper magazines like i think they were you know one of the players in that whole thing when they yep. get these three inch you probably did this jason you go flip through those and find that one little widget you needed uh but then you know i feel like it, you guys didn't really have much of a brand but then lately and i don't know when this started but there was maybe a super bowl ad a couple mm-hmm. years ago you know it seems like you're kind of trying to build this kind of kind of almost like consumer brand awareness kind of thing. And there's celebrities like I've seen Charles Barkley yep. and uh, is he still the spokesman? And, and what, what do you think is kind of the the thinking there to kind of, is that just super top of the funnel so that, you know, people kind of understand when the purchasing guys, like I got it from CDW or, or what, what what's going on there, or is it an attempt to be more consumery? It's definitely, it might have that effect of seeing more consumery, but it's, you know, our, our buyers are our consumers at the end of the day. So partnerships. So, so a couple of points. One is, yeah, the ad campaign was, was with Barkley, which is over a number of, you know, the Gordon and Taylor was a, was an organization kind of a mock company. And, and Barkley was an IT guy at Gordon and Taylor. And it was very funny. CW has always had a kind of a, a humor, humoristic part of its brand. So it was, how can we, uh, raise awareness without taking ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Barkley was, everybody knows Barkley and our data said that our, our customer, the, the IT manager, or IT buyer is often a sports watcher. So that begot partnerships, you know, him as a spokesperson that got, begot partnerships like the NFL. So we, we never did a Super Bowl ad, but we are very present at the Super Bowl and Monday Night Football. We've done ads and then the PGA. PGA has been another. So athletic sponsorships have been a a big part of our marketing in the last, I'd say, five years. Interesting. 
And when you shot that ad, did you get a chance to tell uh, Charles that you you upset them in college? No, I was <laughs> nowhere near that <laughs> ad. <laughs> but I that was happening uh, right when I was getting there. And but if it, you know, with a spokesperson, eventually you have to. Uh, how long can you have a spokesperson? And you know, a spokesperson wants to do other things, and so you know, the current campaign is about orchestration. That's orchestration, IT orchestration, and it's trying to dial it back to. It all starts with a conversation with CDW, yeah. right? So we're that's where you have like the Lenovo Yoga, and it's kind of like doing its whole thing. And yeah, those yeah. are neat. Yeah, yeah, we're we're talking to the. We really understand the customers' needs, and so we can design custom solutions for for our customers. Yeah, the yeah. spokesperson thing is kind of fraught with peril because there's like the the Dell dude, he went sideways. Yeah. Uh, and then I've seen that Verizon guy now is on all the Sprint ads and he like totally throws Verizon onto the bus. It's pretty, pretty tricky. But Flow is kind of hung in there. So you can always yeah, trust Flow. That's a good long term yeah. example. <laughs> Barley, I think Barkley, there's no doubt that uh, our brand awareness increased under him. He was great. I think the Gordon Taylor ads were very, very funny and very on point. And I think the orchestration campaigns are great. Too so, but no, we're not. I think we we get consumer business. I mean, people think we're retailers, um, but we are really built wired to serve businesses and organizations. And uh, I know this would have predated you, but they were a pretty early mover on you know, in terms of digital sales as well, right? Like, yeah, I think like, their site was. I remember Crate and Barrel launched in. Uh, April of 99. I remember that day uh, was before me, but CW was before that. I mean, they were 98 or before 98. Yep. Yeah. And I, I want to say, uh, so I, I used to be a, a principal in a small business and we were a customer. And uh, one of the, the things that was a big revelation for me was the first time I ordered something like in the business day for delivery the next day. Yeah. Um, and back then, that was unheard of. And the first time you said, wait a minute, like our, our inkjet printer that just, uh, you know, took a dump, we could uh, get a new one tomorrow. And it was exorbitantly expensive. Like there was no free shipping back then. Right. Uh, but but that was a game changer for me. And that really, like as, as a retail guy back then, that was really that first aha moment that, right. hey, this is going to fundamentally change how, how we all shop. That's the that's what we were known for. You know, we. Scott described a scenario, but we would, we'd have the product. We'd know what product, and we could get it to you really fast. And facilities that, when I started in early 2014, the the main distribution facility, there's still you know still a customer pickup area. So customers still come in and get their get their product. It's like a depot type setup if they really really need it. So we're we've been really good at distribution. We're not getting any worse at distribution. So that's a huge advantage. Yeah, and so are all the like I know there were some actual retail stores. Are they all closed now? Yes. Well, they you can still go to this uh, facility on Milwaukee. Yeah. So come on, come on back. I will visit us. You, as you probably know, you had a store across the street from the Merchandise Mart. I used to yes walk by every day on the way home. Right. It's always like I know you might be B two B, but I was be a C customer (laughs) that right have a dangerous shopping spree in that store back in the day. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's well known in the Midwest, um, and it is uh, I think more and more well known nationally. And we're international now. We um, 
started working in close partnership with a company called Kelway, and then that became an acquisition. They're a UK-based uh, solutions provider, and, and now that's CDW UK. So that's done wonders in terms of global reach and ability to service multinational customers. Got you. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that, but um, I actually want to go back for just a second and make sure we're clear on sort of what the scope of your role is. Uh, I'm not even sure it's clear when you talk right. to a B2C person and say, hey, VP of e-commerce, what the scope is. But in in your role, do you do you have any responsibility for for product assortment and procurement, uh, for delivery? Is it purely the, the order acquisition? Like what, what, where does your job start and stop? So my job is, um, all the site experience. So what, what you generally think of in terms of product management, visual design, uh, engineering is a dotted line and also includes the kind of search marketing, SEO, um, you know, display, um, but no, the all the procurement and all the distribution is that's run elsewhere, yep. which is kind of in, good because we've been doing that a long time, and that's we have really smart people. Yeah, you mentioned some marketing activities in there. I'm curious how you divide which ones end up in in your role. Is it the digital versus non digital, or is it the the sort of direct response versus? Brand building, or yeah, it's it's a really good question. We we currently are there's so in the marketing department uh, where e-commerce sits right now, we have um, someone who runs, let's just say, you know, the brand traditional brand and uh, the broadcast media, and so like when we were talking about those orchestration campaigns, those Barclay campaigns, there's a ton of display, uh, kind of traditional display that goes with that. And then, you know, we're, there's also a lot of remarketing and so it just bleeds into, it's in his area and my area. And so that is a big, um, area we're working on together. Like we've created what we call a center of excellence. We put someone in charge of that who wants to, will really get us executing better across, you know, the, the whole breadth of marketing campaigns. Cause there's just, we just have a lot of questions in that area and we have a lot, uh, we're trying to get as many answers as we can. We know we can be better. And so much, the digital just spread throughout the whole marketing organization. So it's, that's why we're, we're working together closely in a partnership. So. Got you. Um, you, we talked a little bit about the stores and the the will call windows. How do you guys think about omni-channel? Like, I imagine you have customers that that use the web, but might still have an account manager. And I, I think yep. you have a tele, a, a telesales group too. Is that so? The account manager is our telesales Got group. It. Like, so so essentially, um, you know, we hire out of out of college, um, put people in a training program, and account manager will get a, get a book of business and then expect to be productive with that book of business. So, you know, oftentimes we're, we're trying to help acquire customers ourselves that oftentimes get, you know, fed into the account manager. So there's certainly a size of the account that makes more sense for an account manager. We have, we do have what we call a sales contact center, which I think that's, that's what you're referring to where I think it's really the smaller accounts, um, nascent accounts, ones that we're really trying to build up. And so that, 
there's always a personal touch. There always can be a personal touch, uh, but not everybody wants an account manager or is, um, you know, does it make sense for us to be serving them that way? Got you. Um, and are, is, are they, are the account managers and your site synergistic? Like, uh, or is there channel conflict there? Are you confused? Uh, are you no. stealing commissions from the account managers? Right. So that was a beautiful thing when I arrived. I was there, paid by that, an account manager to right. ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you you know, since you know account managers, they get paid no matter where the sale is conducted. So I never had to worry about that. Nice. I think it's a smart smart thing. You know, we have this ability to customer can create a quote online and you know submit that to their account manager. Account manager can just complete that, update it, and then account manager can complete a quote and send it to their customer. So there, there, there's always been like, how can we supplement and make the account manager more impactful through, through digital? And I think we're just kind of beginning to figure, figure that out and do, there's lots, lots more to do. Yep, and it seems like there's a lot more nuances in, in the B2B space about all those workflows that you might, want to start in order with an account, a personal touch and then complete it self-service or vice versa. And, right. you know, often procurement is different than the, the end user and all of those sorts of. Maybe even have approvals, you know, maybe yep. your account manager knows that for X dollars it needs to go up a level or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you're right on. I mean, there's the, that core business that we kind of grew up with is people want to self-service that more, right? It's, much easier and we're we're very much we we create very customized experiences for our customers online so once you log in your experience is very much yours and very different than um one of your competitors or any other customer so you know that's um kind of the the core who we are and so you know how can we do more of, of that is is what we're trying to to work on. Sure. Another thing that's really interesting to me, uh, you mentioned your partners earlier, and I think yep. you, like Lenovo or HP. Yep. Uh, we are at shop.org, and uh, Scott and I are going to do a session on uh, a number of things, but one of the things we're talking about is brands going direct, mm. and it certainly seems like a lot of your partners have gotten very serious about their direct-to-end-user cons- direct sales. Right. Like, is has... Is there more conflict than there used to be for you? And how do you guys think about like those sorts of efforts from your partners? Are they frenemies now or? So in some cases we have some, we have some really interesting agreements. Like for there's, there's some partners where you'll be on their website checking out and we'll, we'll actually read that data and we'll complete that order and we'll ship that product. So, and there's some customer, some partners of ours that would like us to actually be their, their website experience, their front end website experience. So a lot of our partners draw lines in a sense of how far down they'll go in terms of size of organization that they'll want to service and cover. And so they look to us as like really good at serving small customers and we're good at serving large customers. And so we're actually becoming the website for some of our partners, which, you know, is a really interesting notion. Under their URLs. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you're you would of, not know the difference when, when you you're go there. You're white labeling, basically, uh, e-commerce mm-hmm. experience for them. 
I think it makes sense if you're going to have this high touch, high customization thing. You can't have that for the router company, the you know, the UPS company, the laptop company, the the every you know, the cabling company. It just right. doesn't. It's not scalable and it's inefficient. And I don't think it would work. So right. So it's we're that's just a, an e-commerce capability that I would never have imagined. You know, leaving Crate and Barrel, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to go CW was. Doing integrations, number one with our customers. I think you referenced that, Jason, just kind of procurement integrations with ERP systems. How can we make purchase a whole lot easier? And then that we could actually use that type of capability to, you know, connect, solve a partner problem and help, you know, them focus on um, higher level things. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, we, we want our account managers solving our customers' problems, right? And we want them to be having higher-level conversations with our customers. And the more we can kind of offload, um, let's just say, the, the transactional business, it's, it's good for our customers, it's good for our, our account managers. And if that experience is completely customized and we know exactly what you know they're purchasing and the, the price is the right price for them, then that, that can be a really that's a good experience for us and them. So, John, going back to your your um, crate and barrel time, you had this front row seat from kind of, like you said, 01 to 13. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had stores. I don't know how many stores they had when you joined, but, you know, they. Uh, I kind of first experienced some through stores. Uh, and you, you saw this interesting life cycle of Omnichannel. And everyone we talked to is very different how that that went. I'd love to hear some, you know, how that went during your tenure there. Yeah, so the, the point of view at crate and barrel was very um, store. I mean, the the leadership was... Uh, <clears throat> concentrated more on the store and the, the catalog was meant to drive traffic into the store and um, the furniture sales associates are all, they're all commission based mm-hmm. at, at Crate and Barrel and I don't know if they still are today but um, there was definitely uh, channel conflict in, in the early days because we, we, were, we were exploding with, with growth and the store business uh, was still growing at a real healthy pace, but there was um, just a lot of. First, it, it was a it was customer experience, which I think was the the thing that always grounded Crate and Barrel. Was you know if we if our images weren't good enough online, or if the product description wasn't good enough online, then the stores got the problem. It wasn't wasn't necessarily the call center. So I. I made a point always to go to stores, visit stores and talk to the store store leadership. So when it came time to do something big, like eventually roll out furniture online, it was done kind of together and it done in a way that we create a high touch model on the store side. Um, but I think there's, there's, it's still always a difficult thing when you do have commission salespeople mm-hmm. and the business, their business over time just ends up being much harder to come by. And, you know, there are some who uh, understood the, the value of the web and how customers are researching and coming into purchase. Um, and, but I, I would say it took, it took a while, like the mindset of um, looking to the web in the beginning was, was hard for people to do. Like today we, we, the three of us were together and someone was showing an example of the Washington post where they just took the post story and then they put the, of from the paper and they literally put it on the web and there was, 
you know, a lot of that in terms of how can we deliver our, our marketing campaigns, our catalog, um, photography in, in better ways. So, um, organizationally it never, um, there were still like store operations and e-commerce. It was still kind of broken out that way. I used to always joke when we had uh, clients that wanted to just take the that catalog and and digitize it. That like when you did your first television ad, did you just aim the camera at the newspaper <laughs> ad for thirty seconds? <laughs> well, that's um, it's funny you should bring that up, Jason, because that was kind of like you can't fight City Hall in a way. Like I just said, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. We'll go ahead and put the page Turner catalog because, you know, if that's what some of the, the team wants here, yep. we'll just, we'll just deliver that. And, um, we all know that people never, it just didn't really work, but it was, well, you got to pick your battles. You do have was to pick my, your battles. <laughs> yeah, you my philosophy on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I think we, you know, mobile was a was a was really becoming more and more important as I was leaving, and I think that the team there now has done some really really great things. But the, the ability to kind of deliver these experiences there, especially on the gift registry side, that include a store event, you know, you know, offline marketing and then online marketing and an app. You know, those were those were some of the things that you know are are great examples of how to leverage all the different touch points. Cool. It wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if I didn't ask you the Amazon question. So um, the Amazon question is you've seen this arc from, you know, even maybe back in the Circuit City days, you probably saw Amazon and were, you know, it may have been something that inspired you to get more into the digital side. The okay. uh, and then, you know, I'm sure you competed with them at Crate and Barrel. And then now, you know, you know, effectively, you know, Amazon has Amazon business. They have a lot of IT products on there. How, how do you think about Amazon? Are they kind of a competitor? Are they a friend? And um, you know, how do you, you know, if, if there was a young e-commerce kind of company coming to you for advice, what, what would you tell them? I remember Amazon approaching us when I was at Crate and Barrel and I, I took that conversation, um, you know, all the way to the point where it made sense just because I wanted to learn as much as I could about it and as did others at Crate and Barrel. And at the end of the day, it came down to you know, proprietary product brand and then who owns the customer. And so I've kind of always seen Amazon as a competitor mm -hmm. dialing it back to that, that experience. And so CW is a little bit different because, um, you know, they're, they're certainly a competitor. They are ramping up their Amazon business presence. And so we're, we're, we're paying attention to that. And, uh, they're selling many of the same technology products that we are. Uh, they also have Amazon Web Services, which we've all heard about and read about. And you know, CW helps customers migrate to the cloud and make um, platform as a service decisions. So, what is our relationship with them there? That's um, that conversation. I think is very unique to some of my peers here. Is I was in a, a small group talking about Amazon and, and that that aspect of it is completely different. So it's kind of like target carrying the, the echo or some of the devices. You kind of have this multifaceted relationship because you know, they're a brand man, they're an electronics manufacturer now and they're a cloud provider and right. Yeah. So I, but some of the things that 
Jason was mentioning just the, the procurement and the customization and um, we have had really good success in that area and Amazon is there in that area now as well and for us we just we 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 put a lot of emphasis on the account manager and that relationship and then we have you know we have engineering teams we have solution architects people can really help customers solve problems so the human element to CW is has always and will always be part of who we are and we think that's owning that relationship and having an active healthy customer relationship will will make the difference yep and it, it certainly seems you know, if you're a multi-brand retailer, you're right in Amazon's sweet spot. So you're really sort of competing right, right in the mouth of the beast. Um, you guys have a lot of elements of your customer experience today that, that Amazon doesn't offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that certainly wouldn't give me great comfort because they're obviously a scary competitor. Um, but you do have some some points of differentiation in your customer experience today that Amazon isn't trying to meet. I'm always curious... It seems to me one of the big impacts they have on you is shifting those customer expectations. Like, do you have customers that expect not to pay shipping anymore and expect to get goods faster and all of those sorts of things because they, in their personal life, they they place an order for one laptop on Amazon and they get it really fast. So why can't I place an order for 5,000 laptops with you and get them just as fast and free? Right. So a lot of times we can get it there just as fast. Um, the free part... I think it just depends on on the situation, and but if you go to our website, you know you'll see different prices than, than them. In some cases, that that pricing is very competitive. Some cases, it's not. But you'll see shipping, and that's a, that's something that we're talking about actively. Yep. Right now. And is that controversial in your space at all? Like you have an open website, so I can go browse products even if I don't have an account. I know that's a right. lot of B two B companies rightly or wrongly sort of lock down the browse experience to customers only. Well, you, so if you are a customer, you can, your, your logged in state is, um, you know, is going to be very different, but we've got to get that point across to people who aren't our customers. And I think that's one of our, one of our challenges. So we do talk about price and, um, you know, you dial it back to our, the PLA experience on Google and what are we price competitive just straight up on certain products that can be that starting point of a relationship. And if you throw in shipping like you are, that's, that can be a factor in us not getting that first sale. And so I think about how we um, should maybe adjust things or how can we, how can we tackle that, that problem? Because I think, I think customers, it's not so clear our value if you just come to the site straight up. And I think that we, we can do a better job in, in making that value proposition more, more clear. We, we're not, we don't want to, price is not how we want to compete, but we, we want to be price competitive. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Crate and Barrel that mobile was just starting to impact the expectations and experiences what about at CDW? Like, ha- I think it's a big next on the list area. So I've been there two and a half years, and it, it's been a question of prioritization and what comes first, second, third. So just a straight-up data 
from our customer is just very different than what I was experiencing at Crate and Barrel, just the sheer number of um, visits and now visits to the site. Now, people are definitely looking at our ads heavily on, on mobile. Um, but our, so, we, so we have a mobile optimized site and we have um, apps, but we haven't invested in those um, really, not since I've been there. And we, we want to really understand what kind of problems can we solve with, for our customers using mobile. And I think, Scott, you were talking about purchase approvals. And there's, there's just some really easy things that yeah. you have to do in the day in the life of uh, an IT manager or someone in procurement. And You're like, just like, what assets do I have? It seems like mobile would be perfect for that. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm, Tagging I'm and, going to Building yeah. X. What assets are here? You guys would kind of know a lot of that and be a, a helpful partner on it. So that's where we're headed with with how can we use mobile to to better deliver um, success in our customers' jobs. So it's more to come nice. on that one. We will uh, look forward forward to seeing it and hearing about it. Yeah, um, but it has happened again. We've used a perfectly good forty five minutes of our listeners' time. So John, we're super grateful for you taking the time out of your busy schedule here at shop.org and we really appreciate your insights. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, John. We really appreciate. It. We know you're busy and, and appreciate you taking the time. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.